morning. Merry Christmas. I'm still going with Merry Christmas. I know it's over, but it's not New Year's yet, so let's milk it a little longer. Amen? It's such a big deal. Remember that sermon I preached a little while ago, Leave the Lights Up? We got to keep that going on in our lives and in our hearts, and so um, we're going to be talking a little bit more about Christmas here this morning. I want to hear from you guys, though, this morning, some cool gifts that you got for Christmas. I want to see some hands. Who, who's got a, who got something really cool for Christmas or something you enjoyed, something you liked? I got a hand right here. What'd you get, Paul? A brand new Jaguar Oh, my gosh. A brand, do you guys hear that? A brand new Jaguar XKE. Oh, man, that's good. Come on. That's a good gift. Was that one, was that one from yourself to yourself? Yeah, well, that's the best kind, right? Because you know what you want, right? You know what you got. Anybody else would get a good gift. It doesn't have to be in that money, monetary range, although it might be. Someone in the first service got a brand new Toyota Tacoma. That's pretty awesome. What did you get here? Your family is in town. How many of you guys love family? Thank you, Lord, for family. Another good gift. I saw a hand right there. Hi, guys. So good to see you guys. Jen and the kids, that's another one. More family in. Come on, another gift. See one right here. You met the president? Don't laugh. Some of you guys are like, ah, big deal. No, hey. Where'd you meet him at? At the the Kaneohe base. You get to meet the president. That's pretty cool. That's fun right there, man. Not every day you get to meet the president. That's big. Somebody else. What What was a cool gift you got? Anybody? You got a GoPro? Hey, I love the GoPro. The GoPro is good. You guys know what I'm talking about, the sports camera. It can go underwater and all that stuff. GoPros are amazing. Somebody else, what'd you get? I see a hand right here, Tommy. New work boots. All right, give it up for work boots. Earn the money. Go to work. Your son called you from California. That's always good right there. Family. Anybody else? A, a, a cool gift, a fun gift. It can be, I see a hand right back there. A wedding dress. Oh my goodness, that's a big one. <laughs> Someone, where else was that? Is it yes? Your husband upgraded Grant. Good job, brother. That's big points right there. That one will last for a while. That's, that's good. Anybody else? Last one, last hand. An ice cream maker. How many of you guys in here love ice cream? We're coming over, Sherlyn. Thank you. Can I share with you guys one of the things I got? Not the most expensive, biggest one, but thought that counts. I think this one is pretty cool. I got the Santar. <laughs> Can you see this on the, on the camera? Half Santa, half horse. Not a centaur. It's a Santar. Guess who, guess who gave me this? Pastor Trevor. <laughs> so weird. But here's, here's the thing. We're, um, we're talking about Christmas. I'm still hung up on the Christmas story. I believe God gave me a good word this morning for some stuff that we don't often see in the Christmas story, the events surrounding the birth of, Je- uh, the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, we always know what the big thing is, the big gift, the big thing that speaks to us from Christmas was the Savior of the world came to this earth, right? That's what we all celebrate, salvation. We're thankful for that. Well, I want to show you guys in the Christmas story, there's a few more things that we get from Christmas. We talk about what we get for Christmas. There's a few more things that we get from the Christmas story this morning, and I want to just kind of look at those, and we're going to be primarily focusing on 
the mother of Jesus. We're going to be looking at Mary today and some stuff that she kind of pulls out of this thing. And so I want to kind of go over the Christmas story with you guys right now, just to kind of like keep it on the brain and kind of let you guys know what's going on. Poor baby, I'm so sorry. I bummed you out. I'm preaching. And she's just like, be quiet. I'm trying to sleep. You can go get your sleep. How many of you guys are thankful for the newborns? We have so many newborns in Anchor Church. What a gift. I love kids. I love the fact that you guys are just producing like rabbits out there. And we're growing our church one child at a time, thanks to you guys. That's awesome. But I want to I get you guys, um, your minds focused on the Christmas story, okay? I got my notes so I make sure I don't skip anything. Now here's, let's set the stage. Here's the Christmas story, right? We're going to lock onto that this morning. It's a crazy story. We read it and we just think, yeah, yeah, yeah. But think about this. An angel shows up to this young teenage girl in this small town, Nazareth. Population at the time, 500. This is the kind of town where everybody knows your business. 500 people, everybody knows everybody. Now, put yourselves in this perspective. The last we hear of God speaking through prophets and doing miracles and all this is in the book of Malachi. The prophet Malachi speaks. There had been a period of, get this, a period of time from Malachi until the book, the gospels of Matthew, Mark, John, and, and, and Luke, um, and John the Baptist coming on the scene, and Jesus the Messiah coming on the scene. Between Malachi and Matthew, there's 400 years of silence. 400 years of God not having an inspired uh, prophet speaking his words and known miracles. It's kind of a quiet time. There's a lot of political changes. There's a lot of changes in the church. Um, it used to be uh, the power in Israel of the time was the Medes and the Persians. Now it's changed over to Rome. Um, there's just a bunch that has happened but there hasn't been much in the way of God speaking to people and angels and all this. But here we are now, this small town, Nazareth, this angel appears. They haven't heard about angels in a long time. An angel appears, and who does he appear to? A young Jewish teenager who's engaged to do a carpenter to be married in a small town in Nazareth. And the angel comes, Gabriel, and he says, you're going to give birth to a baby. He's going to be the son of God. You're to name him Jesus. You're going to get pregnant right now, and it's not from Joseph. You are going to get pregnant by a miracle from the Holy Spirit, and you're going to give birth to the son of God, and you're going to name him Jesus. She tells her husband-to-be, she's engaged to, hey, Joseph, this is what an angel told me. I'm pregnant right now. All Joseph is thinking, let's be serious, he's just going, wait, you're pregnant from somebody else. That's all, that's all he heard. You're pregnant from somebody else. And literally it says he decided to discreetly and nicely let the relationship go. He was going to break it off because he's like, this is not cool. This is not, it's going to make me look bad. You look bad. Let's just break it off and maybe you can go and hide it and have the baby in quiet or seclusion or whatever. But the angel also shows up to Joseph and says, you know what? It's true. What Mary's telling you, she's not lying. It's real. It's legit. Your wife-to-be is pregnant, and I want you to take her to be your wife. So he, he goes, whoa, this is crazy. We haven't heard of angels in over 400 years. This is real. I'm going to believe this thing. He took Mary home to be his wife, but he didn't have sexual relations with her until after the baby was born. This was a totally a miraculous event. But at this time as she's pregnant, here's another miracle that's going on simultaneously. Angel appears to Zechariah. Zechariah works in the temple. He's married to Elizabeth. Elizabeth is Mary's probably cousin. We don't know for sure, but she's a relative of some type to Mary. So Mary has just heard, heard this vision. She's tripping out. She hears the angel says, hey, your, your cousin or your relative, Elizabeth, is also pregnant. Mary's thinking, wait a minute. Elizabeth and Zechariah, 
they're super old. They can't get pregnant. In fact, I know for a fact, Elizabeth is barren. She can't even have kids. And even if she could, they're really old, right? So she goes to visit her. She finds out that sure enough, an angel had appeared to Zechariah and said, Zechariah, your wife and you, you're going to be pregnant and you're to name the boy John. And Zechariah goes, I don't believe it. And he goes, okay, for that, you're not going to be able to talk until the baby is born. So all this crazy angelic appearances, Mary goes over to see Elizabeth. And this is what Elizabeth says. Oh my gosh, Mary, as soon as you walked in the door and said, hi, or aloha, or shalom, or whatever you say, the greeting cried out. Here's what Elizabeth said. The baby in my womb just did backflips. It says, well, that's paraphrasing. It says, she, he jumped for joy in her womb. Something crazy is going on that Mary shows up and the baby hears it and the baby just does flips inside her womb. And she says this, Elizabeth prophesies and says, who am I to be blessed that the mother of my Lord would come enter into my house? That she's telling Mary, you know what? God is on you and he, you're gonna give birth to Jesus. So Mary, mind blown, how does she know this? How did you even get pregnant? What's going on here? Your baby did a flip when I came in. What is going on? So she responds with this famous passage in scripture called the Magnificat. And we make songs out of it and all these things. And it's this praise song or poem that she spoke or sung out to God, which is a response to the fact that, God, I cannot believe that you would choose me and that I'm so humbled and honored that you would use me to do this great thing to bring the Savior into the world. She's blown away. So she goes back home to Joseph. She's pregnant. Joseph gets called to his ancestral hometown to take a a census. They're counting everybody. Caesar Augustus is counting everybody in the Roman Empire. And so Joseph and Mary have to travel about 80 miles away right, by foot and by donkey. It's probably like about a four-day to a week's journey. They travel to Bethlehem in Judea, and there's nowhere for them to stay because it's packed and everybody's in town for the census or whatever, and they don't have anywhere to stay. So the baby is born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger, which we know the word, but it really means a feeding trough where they pour all the hay and the oats and the stuff for the animals to eat. There's nowhere to put baby Jesus, so he's laid in this manger and he's wrapped in swaddling cloths, right? And so the, the, the savior of the world is this innocent little baby dropped into a feeding trough. Now, that night that he's born, an angel also shows up to some shepherds nearby. And he says, hey guys, I'm an angel from the Lord. I'm telling you something. I'm bringing you news of great joy to all men. Here's what I'm telling you is the savior of the world, the one that you've heard about for hundreds of years, He's on, he came on the scene. He's here. He's born tonight in the town of Bethlehem. Go check him out. You'll find him. He's the only baby that's sitting outside wrapped in swaddling cloths, and he's in a feeding trough. And they're just like, what? And then as this angel is telling these shepherds this, a whole host, an army of angels joins him. Right? They're already just like, whoa, an angel. And then suddenly it's like, boom, angels everywhere. And they're like, ah. And they're just singing, praise be to God, glory in the highest. The shepherd's minds are blown. They go running off immediately to find this child. This is the one we've heard about for all these years. We've heard the stories. We've heard the scrolls read to us, the prophecies. We hear about it in synagogue every week. We hear about it taught from our parents, passed on generation to generation. This is the guy. And they go and they find him. And it says, here's where we pick up the story. As they get to where the baby is and Mary and Joseph, they begin to tell everybody what they just saw. They're going, guys, we just saw an angel. Then all these other angels came. This is the most crazy thing. He told us it's the son of God. So they're just spreading the news to everybody. Now, here's where we pick up the story. Here's what I want to focus on today. In Luke chapter 2, verse 18, it says this. All who heard the shepherd's story 
were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Now, it doesn't sound like a, a, a crazy verse. It doesn't sound dramatic. But I've always read this, and I've always wondered, why is that in Scripture? I'm like, of course, they're going to be astonished. But Mary wasn't astonished. She just kept these things in her heart and thought about them often. I thought, that's kind of subdued, kind of like underplayed. Like, that doesn't, why is that in there? So I began to study this verse and see what this verse is really talking about, because I believe it, it has something to say to us in here. And here's, there's, there's a contrast of what I want to show you. The shepherds are declaring all that God just did and that they just saw. There's a work of God that has just happened. The angels have showed up. They've given them some good news. And there's, there's them telling it to all these people. Now, there's, there's a contrast. Two different personalities, how they respond to this news of God moving in people's lives. It says, everyone, all who heard the shepherd's story, here's the first contrast, were astonished. What that means is surprised, impressed. They admired it. They were, in other words, they were hyped. They're like, whoa, that, are you serious? Angels showed up? What? And then other angels, oh my gosh, that's, wow. And they're all full of hype and they're all full of like just wonder and like, oh, that's crazy. Now contrast that with Mary, who Mary just says, but, not Mary, it says, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. So you got one crowd that's just like, wow. And then you got Mary over there that just goes, hmm. And she just brought them into her heart, and she thought about them often. In other words, she just allowed it to kind of sink in and impact her. Now, here's what I want you guys to understand, why this verse is so, so key. It's a big deal. I read it, and I think, cool, she kept them in her heart. She thought about it. Yeah, she's like, wow, that's, that's impressive, but I'm not super hyped like everybody else. Here's what it really means. The word kept all these things in her heart. The word kept means she guarded, she treasured, she preserved them as precious and important. In fact, she thought about them often. That means it consumed her thoughts. Now, here's what you don't understand when you read it in just the regular English that says kept all these things in her heart. You and I think heart means this, the organ that pumps blood in your body. Or we think the source of emotions. You know, Valentine's Day, you write hearts on everything, and it means you really like something, and it's emotion. You really love something. Well, to the Jewish mindset at the time, to the Hebrew people, whenever they reference, and you're going to read scripture differently now, whenever they mention heart in the Jewish culture and in that understanding, it's not just an organ in your body. It's not just something that feels emotion. Literally, the heart, whenever that's mentioned in the Jewish cultural mindset, it was the center of all physical, spiritual, mental, and emotional life. It says when you are into something and your heart is in it, it's not just saying like, oh, yeah, you think that's pretty cool. Oh, Mary kept it in her heart. You know what it's literally saying is it becomes your identity, your core. You own it. You grab it. It changes the way you live your life. When it says heart anywhere in scripture, it's saying it's a big deal. If your heart is in something, the way that we read it, it uh, through the Jewish mindset was you're all in. Now, here's the first lesson I want you to see in the story of Christmas that you might not have ever picked up before is that God cares about your heart, not your hype. Okay, here's the thing. Those that, that heard what the shepherd said, they're like, whoa, I'm impressed. That's cool. That's astonishing. I'm hyped on it. But Mary, on the other hand, goes, you know what? What God just did right there and what he's doing right now in my life and everything, this is heavy. And you know what? I'm absorbing this stuff and I'm taking it in and I'm going to own my faith in Jesus Christ. This is going to dramatically change the way I live for the rest of my life. I'm going to think about this. It's going to consume my thoughts. See, God is interested in our hearts. See, some of us are like this. God does a good thing. You come, come to church, the word's for you that week, and you're like, wow, that's cool. That's hype. I'm excited. I'm, a, I'm astonished. 
You go to church the next week, and you're like, ah, they didn't play my favorite worship song, so whatever, God, you know, it's cool. I'm just going to go to church. We get so based on hype. Hey, God did a miracle in my life. Yay. And then you walk through a time where like, oh, I'm sick right now, so I'm bummed. God, where are you? And what God is saying is more important is you own it in your heart rather than your hype. Rather than just the praise that you do on the mountaintops, do you still follow him and love him as your Lord in the valleys? Because that's, that's when it's really in your heart, not just when you're hyped. But here's the, here's the difference. It's not just, because I heard a lot of sermons on this, that he's, he's not just the same God of the mountaintops as he is in the valleys. You got to make God the God of your life when you're in the plains. You ever think about that? The times in life when you're just going through life and it seems mediocre and there's no big, great victories or blessings or miracles, but on the other hand, there's no terrible devastation or pain or heartache you're going through, but you're just like, ah, this is just normal doldrums of life. But in that place, that's where your faith really shows. When nothing dramatic is going on, are you still into the word of God? Are you still showing up for church? Are you still giving praise and glory and testimony? Even if you haven't had a miracle or a testimony recently, you're still holding on to the ones you have in the past because you know God is still good. See, it's not just the mountaintops or the valleys, but God's going, if your real heart's in it, then you don't have to show the flash and the flare and the hype, but he's got control of your life that is committed. Here's how I know this to be true. There's a few verses in scripture that back this up. There's all kind of them, but here's three that I found that are pretty pretty cool. 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. Simple truth, it says, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God's looking everywhere, not for people that are like, yay, God, you're awesome. Hype is cool. He likes the glory, but he's looking deeper than that. And he goes, are you fully committed to me? Because that'll change your life. Because I'll draw near to those that are drawing near to me. Now, you might draw in words only, but if your heart's in it, then God's going to show up in your life. It says in Romans 10, 9, If you openly declare, that means you speak it out, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, your whole being, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart, there it is again, that you're made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. Now, here's here's what I know to be true is you're going to be openly declaring with your mouth a whole lot more if your heart is already sold out and in it. And so it's, it's a given that if the heart is in it, then you can't help but openly declare with your mouth and talk about it. But God is looking for the heart. It says in Matthew 5, 8, Jesus says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, there's a lot of Christians I know that they honor God with their lips, but their hearts aren't in it. And then they walk around wondering like, I never see the power of God in my life. I don't feel like he's near me. I don't, I don't really know. My, my faith feels more like a religion than an actual relationship. What's going on? I think the problem is we're half-hearted. God's going, I want fully committed hearts. You have to believe with all your heart because if you don't believe with all your heart, there's no power, there's no peace, there's, there's no life change. The amount of effort that you put into seeking God is the amount that you're gonna receive from God because God said this is a two-way relationship. You pour into it, you seek me with all your heart, guess what, I'm gonna be found by you and I'm gonna bless you and big things are gonna happen. But it's all about the heart. Too many Christians I talk to um, all the time, and look, I'm not pointing fingers because I'm there too. Because we wonder why, why stuff isn't happening and, and why you're not, I'm not getting stuff out of church. I'm not getting stuff out of reading my Bible. Well, how hard are you reading? How hard are you expecting when you go to church? When I come to church, man, I worship, eyes closed, and hands up. And that's not to try to look holy or anything. You know what it is? It's I need to get the most out of this as I can right now. I'm not just going to come and sing songs. 
I need to connect with God right now, and I want to give him worship. And if I close my eyes, then I don't feel peer pressure of everybody looking at me, and I'm not checking anybody else out. I'm like, I don't need to, I don't need to look. I just need to focus on God right now. And, you know, I'm going to do something that gets me out of my comfort zone of being half-hearted, and I'm going to go big for God right now. I'm just going to raise my, raise my hands because I want to get myself into the place where my heart is fully open and I can fully receive. You guys get what I'm saying here today? This is Mary. Here's the contrast. That little verse you read, like, oh, it's no big deal. It's a big deal. There were some that were full of hype, but there was Mary that was all heart. And you know what? She followed her little baby boy, her son, all of the days of her life. It says that, that at the end, after Jesus had died, Mary was there, still with the, the believers gathered in Acts chapter 1, constantly praying and being united together in prayer and seeking God. And she was there when the Holy Spirit was released to the believers on the day of Pentecost. She was one of those lucky few, the first members of the church to spark a new fire, to start the ongoing movement of Christianity in the world, which you and I are sitting here as a, as a response to, to this day. Mary believed this all her life. She took it in, and she knew it was all about the heart. So I want to give you guys three things this morning that we can get out of Christmas. What would you get for Christmas? What would you get out of the Christmas story? Well, here's three things, three truths that Mary got in her heart that she owned, that she really became the core of her belief that blessed her her entire life, and I believe it speaks to us too. So here's the first thing. Three simple lessons. I made it as simple possibly as I could. The first thing that Mary learned is that God keeps his promises. Write that down. God keeps his promises. You know what another thing to do to really receive all that God has for you? When you show up to church, take notes. Take notes. I take them on my phone. Anytime I sit and listen to another pastor or wherever I go, I'm always taking notes because my mind gets ADD sometimes. And the pastor speaks about something, and I'm starting to think about, man, I wish I had a new Jaguar XKE. (laughs) And I start thinking about lunch, and I start thinking about candy canes, and I don't know what I'm thinking about. But you know what I do? I force myself to take notes because I want to receive. I don't want to miss anything. And there's certain things where I think I've heard this before, but all of a sudden something will jump out, and I want to write that down because I want to pray on that later. I want to think about that. So it's taking notes. It's coming to worship. It's when you read your Bible that you make time for it every day. What are the things that gets your whole heart? But here's the first thing that Mary learned. God keeps his promises. Here's what she saw. For hundreds of years, she has heard the story, not her personally, but the stories have been told from the Old Testament about the power of God, about the prophecies about Jesus. She's heard all these stories from guys uh, from as far back as the book of Genesis, from the prophet Micah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, talking about her son that was just born, talking about he's going to come from the tribe of Judah. He's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to be a descendant of King David. She's heard the prophecies. She's heard them read in the temple and the synagogues. Her parents have passed it down generation after generation. She knew all these promises of God, but it's been hundreds of years. But guess what? This night in Bethlehem, here she is, living proof of the fulfillment of the promises of God. Mary's mind is blown going, I've heard all of this. I'm living it right now. This is crazy. I'm living proof. God keeps his promises. And see, the thing we need to to understand is how does that relate to us? We weren't back there. But God will keep his promises to you. When you and I read the Bible, we have this book full of all these Old Testament prophecies that Mary only saw a few of them at this point about the birth of Jesus that, that all came true. But you know, over the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there were 400 prophecies written in the Old Testament, 400 that Jesus fulfilled in his birth, his life, and his death. That's for us to look at the Bible and go, oh my gosh, this God, he's real. 
Real stuff can happen with him. He keeps his promises. Here's, here's a first point for us today. God will keep his promises to you in your life. Whatever you're going through right now, all the promises you read in scripture, promises that are like, hey, I promise to never leave you or forsake you. I'll always be with you, Emmanuel, and everything you go through. Promises that say, I've got plans for your life, plans for good, to give you a hope and a future. I've got plans that, that I'm never going to leave you or forsake you, that I'll give you peace, I'll give you joy, I'll give you wisdom when you need it, I'll give you help, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and all of the fruits and the gifts that come along with that. I will give you the power to overcome temptation in your life. All of the different things that he's promised us, you got to understand today that if you can hold on to this like Mary did for her whole life and understand and walk away from church today just going, God's going to keep his promises, God's going to keep his promises, then it's going to bless your life. Because here's the thing, you might be in a season where you've been waiting a while. Let me tell you this, God is working while you're waiting. He's still in it. His promises, the story's not done yet. He still might bring them to fruition. Mary saw this much of the promises fulfilled in her son Jesus. Guess what? She had to wait 30 years before Jesus entered into his public ministry at 30 years old before she saw all the rest of the prophecies come true. So the baby's born, and she's going, this is the savior of the world? How's he going to save the world? How's he going to do miracles? He's like a little, little kid in a, in a manger right now. What the heck? She was in that waiting period, but she kept holding on, going, I believe if these promises came true, then those promises are going to come true. And for us in our lives right now, God's made promises to you. In the Bible, maybe spoken them directly to you, maybe spoken through friends to you. And you're going, no, but it just hurts too bad, and where's God, and I'm waiting. Hold on, Christian. Hold on, because God is working in the waiting right now. And just because you don't see it right now, it doesn't mean he's not going to keep his promises. He is a God of promises. You just have to wait for it. He's working in the waiting. Amen? So this is what Mary saw. Second thing is this. God does big things. Mary had just experienced the fact that, boom, angels are real. I, my, I just saw one. My husband, Abi, just saw one. The shepherds just saw one. My, my cousin, Elizabeth, Zechariah, angels came. She's mind blown going, oh my gosh, messengers of God really exist. They're real. She also said, all of these prophecies for hundreds of years, prophecy is real. It comes true. Here's what else she's thinking. She's thinking, a virgin girl can get pregnant by no one but God. That's crazy. Then she's thinking, my relative, Elizabeth, over there, super old, barren, she just got pregnant. This is unbelievable. Miracles exist. God does have power. See, we need to believe this for our lives, that God can do big things in your life. Not just for Mary, but he can do big things. We've been talking about things like my little friend Oliko that had that um, encephalitis, which is a terrible, terrible brain disease. And when I saw him in the hospital, he was like a vegetable. He could barely move his eyes and couldn't talk, couldn't move anything. Well, we started praying, and three days later, I see him. He's running around. I look at his pictures from his mom right now in the videos. He's running around, playing football, tackling the kids. He's back to normal seven-year-old life because of the power of God. God can do big things. Now, not only that, but every one of those praise cards that you guys fill out that comes in here are miracles. People are going, my marriage was saved. My, I got a raise. I started tithing. I got a 24% raise. Someone else go, I started doing the 90-day tithe challenge. I got promoted. I get three times as much as I got paid before. I don't know what's going on, but God still does big things. Amen? He can do big things in your life. Angels alone. I trip out on that. I hear a lot of angel stories. I don't believe that angels stopped appearing to people back in the Old or the New Testament. I believe it still happens today. I get a lot of people that know stories. 
and have had stories of, of encounters with angels. But here's one that I know of. When I was in high school, one of my friends that I was close to, this, this girl that come, came to youth group and stuff with us in this church, she had an experience. She had a story. She got into an auto accident one day. She's driving home from school or wherever she's driving from. She's waving at her friend's house, like yelling to see if they would come to the door. Hey! She's driving really fast. Didn't look where she's going. Banged into some parked cars. I mean, crashed hard. Hit a parked car, which hit another car, another car. All these cars on the street. Her car was totaled. Now I'm going, oh, yeah, but you're telling the story, so it must not have been that bad. Two days later, they towed the car to her house. I look at the car in her driveway. The engine is in the front seat. And I'm looking, I'm going, how did you walk away from this? How did your body fit in there? And all she had was a scratch on her head and a sprained knee. And she walked, walked away from that. And everybody was blown away. Cops, paramedics, her parents were like, how did you survive this? But then the story gets even more amazing. Not only was she protected, one of the neighbors that was on the street that saw the car crash, that heard it first, they were in their house doing whatever they're doing. They hear bah, slam and all this stuff. They come running over, look out the window, and they see what had happened. Now, as my friend was giving the police report to the, the officer that afternoon, the officer says, did you have anyone else in your car with you? She goes, no, I was driving alone. I was coming from wherever. I was only driving while it was just me in the car. Look, you could tell if anybody else was in the car, there would be blood or whatever. It's like the, the car is totaled. And the officer's going, okay, okay, just one person driving the vehicle. And then the neighbor who saw the thing was listening to her giving the report. And, and she goes, yeah, it was just me in the car. And she goes, uh-uh, honey, tell the truth now. And she goes, what are you talking about, crazy lady? And she goes, I heard, I saw the whole thing. I heard the crash. I came and I looked out my window and I saw you get out of the car and I saw those two tall friends of yours with the blonde hair get out with you and they went off walking down the street on their own. Where did they go? And she goes, I don't even have friends that look like that. She goes, I don't know what you're talking about. I promise you it was only me in the car. You should be able to find some other type of evidence or something. How could they have survived that? And the officer just didn't know what to do. But the story was repeated around to all of us, and instantly Christians are just going, man, those are angels, because how can you account for that? She goes, I don't even know anybody that looks like that. Two tall, long, blonde hair guys get out of the car with me and walk away. Why would they walk away? I was the only one there, and I'm just going, whoa, angels are real. Now, here's my point with that, not to get you all hyped up on angels, but I want you to believe that God has power and God can do big things, either through angels, through miracles, through blessings in your life, through your relationship, through your finances. I don't know what he can do, but he's capable of doing anything. And here's what Mary learned. Oh, number one, God keeps his promises. Number two, God can do big things. And God can do big things for you. Here's a third point that I think is amazing. It's really good. Third point, plain and simple, God can use anyone. God can use anyone to do big things, to bless their life, and to bring him glory. Some of you are sitting here today going, yeah, he can use other people, but he can't use me. I've been through some stuff. I'm not really the, the model Christian. I barely made it in the church today. I'm surprised the building didn't blow up because I entered into church today on this Sunday morning. Because if you knew me, and here's the thing. Mary goes, man, God can use anyone. Number one, he can use unimpressive people. Mary and Joseph, living proof. Common tradesman, a carpenter, Right? Teenage girl, virgin, from a small town, poor. In fact, she's probably the talk of the town because everybody's going around going, Mary and Joseph, yeah, right, she got pregnant by God. Wink, wink, right? She's going, yeah, Joseph, you dirty bugger, you're not even married, huh? And Joseph's like, promise, I promise, right? Talk of the town. These are just common young people, 
right? They're just, they're normal people. They knew God, but there was nothing special or anointed on their life. They were just normal people. And here's the deal is God can use anyone. He can use unimpressive people. How many of you right now, raise your hand, you would say, I'm a very impressive person. You are awesome. You're an impress- There's a few impressive people in here. The majority of us, how many are like me? You're like, I'm pretty common. I'm pretty normal. And here's what God is saying. I love to use normal, common people the best. I'll use anyone. I use awesome people, impressive people, high-ranking people, high-status people, but I can also use unimpressive people because Mary's going, who am I? I'm, I'm, me and Joseph, we're nothing. Here's what I want you to understand about the ministry that happens at Anchor Church every day, every week. Now, all of the people that find Jesus in our church, all of the good that we do out there in the community, blessing the community, doing all of this amazing work, stuff that we do, helping start churches around the world and mission trips and all that. Now, there's a lot of good that comes out of this church. But you got to understand, it's not because the people that run it or have started it are anything impressive. Number one, look at me. I'm the, I'm the lead pastor here. What the heck? Are you serious? Really, God? So I, I, first of all, look like that and I go, God can use anyone. But here's what I'm reminded of. I wouldn't even be here doing what I do today, leading this church, being a part of all the good that God's doing. If it wasn't for about maybe 20, almost 30 years ago, a mechanic that works for Sears, an auto mechanic at Sears in the Windward Mall is actually one of the guys that is responsible for all that happens in Anchor Church here today. You know why? There's a guy named Clinton Landeza. It's Pastor Tom's older brother that back when I was about 14 years old, planted seeds in my life that gave me a love for Jesus. He showed me how to love the Lord and still be cool, still be punk rock at the time and still surf and still like uh, ride skateboards and do all the stuff that I do. But to have a love for Jesus Christ and to realize he can change lives. And he took the time to invest in some young people in the church and to pour into them. And as a result of it, set me on a course where I eventually became a pastor. And now I'm in charge of this church and all of this that God is doing in our midst. But man, I owe it all to a really unimpressive auto mechanic that worked at Sears Windward Mall. You guys get what I'm saying? And here's the awesome thing is, We've come full circle, and Clinton Landeza is actually our guy that sets up and breaks down at the Ohuimanu campus. He's over there right now. He's still in the midst, but the guy's a hero, a champion. He's a warrior used by God, but all he was was an auto mechanic all those years ago, right? But through him, God did big things. Through Mary and Joseph came into the world the Savior, the Redeemer, the Messiah. Is that cool? Unimpressive people God can use. Secondly, God uses this. He uses unworthy people. Think about the shepherds for a minute. Just in this story alone, he uses unimpressive Mary and Joseph. He uses unworthy shepherds. Now, you guys may think, oh, shepherds is just another trade. It's cool. You know, they're working with, with uh, sheep and all that. That's pretty good. No, back in the day, they were the lowest of the lowest class of citizens. It says they were despised. They were dirty. They were unreliable outcasts. And they couldn't even give testimony in a court of law. No one trusted them. They had, they had a, a reputation for kind of lying and not being reliable. They actually had a bad reputation for kind of being thieves, like wandering gypsies. They would kind of help themselves to different things. They had a terrible, unworthy reputation. But think about this. Who did God send his angelic messengers to announce first on planet Earth that the, the Savior had been born, despised, unworthy shepherds? Now, some of you guys in here are going, 
Oh, Pastor Carl, you don't know my past. I'm pretty unworthy. In fact, you don't know the secret stuff that I do in my present right now. God can't use me. I'm just here to learn and receive from God. God could never do anything in me. I'm going to tell you this. God uses unworthy people, and you need to get past your past and realize that you're a new creation in Jesus Christ and that he can use anyone. I don't care what you're doing right now. I don't care that where you've been and what you do. Jesus is going, I can use you to bless your life, to bless others, and to bring about my glory if you'll just get over yourself and realize that through, through me, you can do anything. Here's a verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Paul says, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it absolutely clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. Yeah, you may be unworthy, but God makes you worthy. Amen? It's him inside of you. Now, here's a third type of person that God can use when he can use anyone. Mary's seeing this in the story. And he uses us. He uses shepherds. Here's the third type of person that he can use, vulnerable and weak people. He used it in the baby, the baby Jesus. There's nothing more vulnerable than a newborn infant being brought into this world, and you're just laid in a feeding trough. You would be thinking the Jewish mindset was Messiah is going to come back. He's going to instantly be like an adult person. He's going to be a conquering warrior, a king. He's going to be Superman, superpowers. We don't know. He's going to be awesome. And instead, God goes, no, you know who I like to use is the vulnerable and the weak. Watch what I'm about to do. Here comes the Messiah screaming in that little feeding trough. He's a newborn baby. There's nothing more vulnerable in the world than a brand newborn baby. They can't help themselves, can't do anything, relying on everybody for everything else. And God goes, I like to use people and, and people in positions like that, vulnerable and weak. It says in 1 Corinthians 1.27, the Apostle Paul writes, instead, God chose the, the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think that they're wise. He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. You might be sitting in church today, and you might be in a season where you've just come out of, and you're vulnerable and you're weak right now. You're like, look, I've been through some abuse these are physically or mentally or whatever. Like, people have hurt me, Carl. You don't even know. God can't do much in my life right now because I'm, I'm beat up and I'm hurt and I don't have much going on in my life. I'm in a season right now where I, I lost all my money. I'm bankrupt. I'm poor. I'm like, can't even get my head above water financially. I can't do anything for anybody. I have no power. I'm vulnerable right now. Could be that you're some of the people that I talk to that are like, when I try to encourage you and I say, you should get involved, you should use your gifts, you should do some stuff for God, you know they say? No, nah, I'm, I'm barely here in your church. I've been burned by churches before, so I don't really want to get involved. I've been hurt. I'm at a place where I'm weak. I just need to receive and see if you guys are really legit, and I'm just going to kind of kick back right now. Could be that you're in that type of a season. Could be that you've gone through suffering. Could be that you've gone through loss. You've lost someone you loved. Well, what I know is that God likes to use the powerless to shame the powerful, that he likes to use people that the world considers weak and foolish so that his glory can be put on display that much brighter. You know, there's a couple in our church. They were in the earlier service. Their names are the Clutes, Mike and Steph Clute. Three or four years ago, they lost their daughter, just tragic circumstances. She died abruptly, and they were bummed. They were heartbroken. We were grieving with them, and they are hurting. But in the midst of that healing process where they're just literally feeling like the weakest people in the world, they agreed to step up to lead our time setters, our, our retirement age ministry in our church. And you know what? Their hearts are so real because they got, they got no pride. They got no arrogance. They got no power. They just see themselves as we're broken. We're hurt. We lost our daughter. And yet God was able to use them 
and work through them to minister to all of these people in our church. And they've done an incredible job of just having real hearts for people because they have, there's nothing to, to be, there's nothing presumptuous about them. They're just like, we're broken, we need Jesus, and we want to tell people that. Then this year, they decided we're not going to be the time setters leaders anymore. We're not going to oversee that ministry. And I was sad to hear that. And they said, no, but there's a reason. God has a, a further calling on our life. We want to start a ministry that God is calling us to called Healing Journey, where we're going to minister to other people that have suffered loss of loved ones in their life. And it's a grief share ministry. And we just want to love, share our brokenness with their brokenness. Is that good? Now, here's the thing. God is about to use them even further to minister in their vulnerable state, in their weakness, in their brokenness. God's power shines brighter and he can do great things. So let me tell you this. God can use anyone. He can use you. If you're unimpressive, you're unworthy, or you're vulnerable, God has plans for your life. Now, this is incredible because God can still use us. Mary believed with all her heart, not hype, but her whole heart, all of these things throughout her life. And you know what she saw? She believes God keeps his promises. God can do big things, and God can use anyone. She saw more of his promises come through. through. As her son Jesus grew up and did all that he did, she went, oh, my gosh, over 400 prophecies from the Old Testament are being confirmed daily in the life of my son and in his death and in his resurrection and in his ascension back to heaven. She's going, my God keeps his promises. Secondly, throughout her life, she saw God do big things. Jesus grew up, walks on water, turns water into wine, which was her idea, by the way. Did you put that together? That her faith was so strong that Jesus hadn't come out and announced that he was the son of God yet, but she was the one that said, hey, come here. These people were at a wedding. They ran out of wine. See what you can do about that. She had the faith to believe in him when he hadn't even done any miracles yet. That's how strong she kept this in her heart. That's amazing. She saw all of the, the, the feeding of the 5,000, the healings, the deliverance from, from demons. She saw her own son die and come back to life. She knew God could do big things. And finally, she saw God use anyone for his glory and the blessing of those people involved. Why? She saw God use fishermen, corrupt tax collectors, prostitutes, and even little children. This is Mary that said, it's not about hype. I'm holding on to God and faith in him because he's real. He can use anyone. He can do big things, and he's a God that keeps his promises. If we walk away from anything this Christmas season and in the Christmas story, I pray that we would see those things and we'd hold on to those things in our very own lives. God's going to come through. He's going to do incredible things if we would just hold to that, not with the hype, but with the heart. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we, we love you. We thank you for your word today. We thank you for Mary, that she was so devoted, that she, she learned some valuable lessons and God, I thank you for showing them to me. I hadn't even seen this stuff before. And I thank you for revealing that to us, Lord, in that, that little simple statement that said she kept these things in her heart and thought about them often. There's so much power in that, Lord, that we would be the same. I pray for all of us as Christians, we'd walk away this Christmas season thanking you for salvation and for Jesus, but also for those other lessons that we have in there, that you do keep your promises. You can do incredible things, big things. And God, you can use even us. Unimpressive unworthy, vulnerable people. God, we love you. Have your way in our lives. I pray right now as we continue to pray with every eye closed and head bowed, if, you, if you're if you at a place in life where you're ready to make a commitment towards Jesus, and I mean a real one. I'm not talking about you read the Bible before and you've come to church before, but again, that you're like Mary. You own it in your heart. You're fully committed. And you're gonna say, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you from this day forward. Not sometime, but all the time. And even when you, you trip and fall, you get right back up and you keep on turning to him. 
If that's you this morning and you're ready to, to have that commitment before God to say, God, I want to be a Christian. I believe that I don't have to be holy or perfect, but that you believe in me and you can use me anyway as long as I say yes and receive you with all my heart. If that's you this morning, I want to lead you in a prayer. Simple prayer, but the most powerful prayer you'll ever pray. Prayer just to say, God, here's my whole heart. I believe in you. I follow you. I trust you from this day forward. And watch what he could do in your life. Watch what he's going to do in your eternity. But you have to make that decision in your heart. Again, God says they honor me with their lips, but their hearts aren't in it. He wants a heart commitment right now. If that's you, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now just to, to put you in that right relationship with God where you walk away knowing that you're a Christian, knowing that he's in your life, and knowing that he loves you deeply. And if that's you right now and you want to make that decision to say yes to Jesus and all he has for you, I'm going to ask you to do one thing. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to ask you to pray it with me, but I'm not going to ask you to pray it out loud. I'm going to ask you to pray it in your heart because that's where it matters most. After service, you can go and declare it with your mouth. You can go tell someone, hey, I prayed that prayer, but I think it's got to start in the heart before it starts with the lips. So we're going to pray in our hearts in a minute here for you to say yes to Jesus and with everything you got, really be all in and mean it. But I want to ask one thing. Everybody's eyes are closed and heads are bowed, but I'm going to count to three. When I count to three, I'm just going to ask you if you want to pray that with me to raise your hand just so I know who I'm praying with, that you would be accountable to say, Pastor Carl, I'm saying yes to Jesus right now. Then we'll pray together. I'll lead you in that prayer. And then we'll get on with the rest of the service. And God will start a new work in your life and in your heart right now. So if that's what you want to pray on the count of three, would you just lift your hand and then we'll pray it together. One, two, three. Can I just see those hands right now? I see one there, two, three, four. I'm looking around. Anybody else? Five, six. Keep them up. Seven, eight. I'm looking around. Anybody else? Nine. Amen. Anybody else? Saw at least nine people in the room this morning. Thank you, Father God. Oh, 10, someone else back there. Praise God. You know what? If I didn't see you, God saw you. But thank you for acknowledging that. Put your hand out. Please pray this with me in your heart. Mean it from the bottom of your heart. God's looking for that. Here we go. God, I love you. I don't even know entirely what that means, but I just feel urged to say that. I'm thankful for who you are, for sending Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would help me get to know you. Basically, God, I'm saying I need you in my life. I want you. I'm looking for peace. I'm looking for love and happiness. I'm looking for direction that I don't have. God, I'm looking for forgiveness because I've done some stuff and maybe I'm doing some stuff that's not probably pleasing to you, but thank you for not judging me, for not making me feel bad about it, but for forgiving me and helping me to overcome it through the power of your Holy Spirit in my life. Lord, I receive all that you have for me right now in Jesus' name. I believe that Jesus came to this earth born in that manger, grew up to become the son of God, fully man, fully God, but to die on that cross to pay the price for my sin and separation from you. And then he did the impossible. He rose from the dead the third day to prove he was God, that he had power over death, but also over sin and separation and guilt and baggage and all the stuff that I got going on in my life. And Lord, if I put my trust and belief in you and say yes to you and follow you, Lord, then I'm a new creation from here on out. I'm a child of God. You've got me. You're on my side. You're going to help me. You have power. You keep promises. And you could even use me to do great things in life. Lord, I believe in that. I receive it right now. Lord, in Jesus' name, I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to start leaning into church and getting to know people. Lord, I'm going to get water baptized as a sign of my new creation and dying to my old self and being born again in you. Lord, all that you have for me, the power of your Holy Spirit, I'm saying yes to you right now. Would you bless me? Would you be my God? I thank you for dying on that cross. I thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Amen. Can we praise God for those people this morning? Ten people.